0: Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. I'm your host, Tim Lanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com. As you know, this is the motivational poster in your ear and possibly on your screen if you're watching on YouTube. In this episode, we're going to be diving into how did we get here, reflecting on 2022 and a glimpse ahead into 2023 and beyond. I'm so thrilled to be joined by a very special guest, none other than the CEO and co-founder of Pantheon, Zach Rosen. Zach is the co-founder and CEO of Pantheon, as I just described in my intro of him, and he leads the mission and strategy and long-term vision of the company and the continued improvement and evolution of the product into an agile digital experience platform for enterprises. Zach pioneered the first large-scale Drupal website for the Howard Dean campaign in 2003, which helped revolutionize the business model of politics from offline to the internet. In addition, Zach has successfully co-founded a variety of organizations over the past 15 years. Chapter 3, a full-service web agency specializing in Drupal development, Mission Bicycle, a San Francisco-based bicycle manufacturer, and California YIMBY, yes, in my backyard, an advocacy group that is working to solve California's housing crisis. Under Zach's leadership, Pantheon continues to grow rapidly while retaining a focus on its talented and passionate team, loyal customer base, and the guiding mission of furthering the open web. Zach, welcome to the show today.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm really, really excited to be here.
0: So, that is quite an impressive bio readout that I just did for you, Zach. And just kind of curious as we, uh, before we dig into fully the episode aspects, just I, I got to ask about at least two of the three uh, organizations that you helped co-found over the past 15 years. Mission Bicycle, based in San Francisco, bicycle manufacturer. Talk to us a little bit about just kind of how that came and, and how you got involved in co-founding that.
1: Yeah. So my co-founders uh, at our digital agency, Chapter 3, so Matt and Josh, started a bicycle manufacturer in the conference room of our consulting company. And it was, it was a <laughs> the hobby project that got... Uh, completely out of control. And uh, we recently sold the business to New Wheel, which is an e-bike. It's the largest e-bike retailer on the West Coast. Uh, And, you know, we built custom, uh, you know, you come in with a dream of the bicycle that you always wanted to have, and they were all built to order. And it was a pretty amazing experience for for our customers. You could pick out all the components and we'd powder coat and uh, do all the, the manufacturing here in San Francisco.
0: Wonderful. That's sounds like a very fun hobby that turned into a a fun business right away, right? So it's it's amazing how hobbies can kind of get out of control like that for entrepreneur minds and uh bloom into something, which is great. And then, just secondly, a little bit just about uh, California Yimby and and just your involvement with that.
1: Well, you may have heard we have we have a housing crisis here in California, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the it's unfortunately the result of a set of policies. That have you know been built over the last forty or fifty years, but essentially to make it illegal to build housing, you know, in San Francisco it's illegal to build more densely than a single-family home until recently in seventy-six percent of the, the land area, and uh, you know the natural you know when when you have these policies you make it illegal to build homes and then you have an amazing uh, economic boom as California continues to have, that's a recipe for a housing crisis and that's exactly what's happened. And I, you know, I worked in the tech industry for a while, and I always felt that the tech industry, you know, we didn't create the policies that are, are colliding with the economic boom that are creating the housing crisis. But I do think we have a special responsibility. You know, we, we're we here building these companies in California, uh, drawing people into the state. And the impact of this is horrible. I mean, it's, you know, you, you are teaching while homeless. You have, you know, our employees the, at the emission bicycle at Pantheon is incredibly difficult to find housing. And if you're a kid growing up, you know, anywhere in the country today, and this is a very sad fact, you know, the highest rate of being in poverty in the state of California in, in real terms, adjusted for cost of living because of the housing crisis.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and, and the fix is, is very clear. Like we actually know exactly the policies we need to change to solve this. It's all self-inflicted, but it was a, it's a matter of the politics. And so about five or six years ago, a couple of friends, so Brian and, and uh, Brian Hanlon, who runs California MB, and myself and my friend, Nat Friedman, helped get it get off the ground. So Nat and I helped with liftoff and fundraising and were on the board. Brian really built the team and does all the work. And his team has been, I'm immensely proud of what they've accomplished. I mean, they are, they are on track to solving the housing crisis in California. Um, they've passed probably 16 really important pieces of legislation through the state legislature um, most recently, we're getting into want territory, but they uh, they legalized um, ADUs, accessory dwelling units. They legalized lot splits and duplexes and stop parking minimums. They, they all really groundbreaking policy they're passing. You know, it's going to take a while to to get homes built. You know, it's not going to happen overnight. But I'm I'm actually very optimistic, building on this, that we're, we're we're very much on track, and you can kind of see the end game to to solve to solve the housing crisis and. And I'm very proud of you. The tech industry really was instrumental in that. I mean, most of the funding and the leadership and it's been a really effective partner, I think, of the policy and political uh, folks who are leading that effort.
0: Wonderful. I can't say how much it's uh, just great to hear the partnerships created between you and the other members of it, but also addressing that type of a a need in California where it is, you know, very well known that that is a, a problem that needs to be addressed. And just kudos to you for, for all the extra things you do besides your day job, which is uh, CEO at Pantheon. And so I just want to, again, just thank you for being on the show today. Uh, I had the pleasure back on episode 28 in March of chatting with uh, Josh Koenig. And so uh, just we appreciate you jumping on the show again here on episode 45. And I think we're uh, ready to kind of dig in and uh, just maybe talk a little bit about uh, your history of kind of co-founding Pantheon and and the reason for that and then let's dig into a little bit about reflecting back on this past year and and what we're seeing.
1: Yeah, that sounds great.
0: So, what kind of inspired you to get started with Pantheon and and bring that to light and you you know you and Josh co-founding from that perspective uh the 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 need and the problem that you saw and 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 why you created Pantheon.
1: Yeah, so so I'm very lucky uh you know Josh and Matt Dave is a new guy, I've only worked with him for a little over a decade, but Matt and Josh, we worked together, I think 18 years now, three companies. So we're kind of like, me and Josh, kind of old married couple. I know what he's thinking before he does, uh, and, and same uh, for him. And you know, a, a lot of startups, I think, have this uh, really age of trials in the beginning, trying to find mark, product market fit. We were very lucky we didn't, because we were actually hired as consultants to build Pantheon like almost a dozen times before we started the company, literally, like the, the whole product and like first version of the product, I should say. So we would uh, get hired by companies like The Economist or NBC or, you know, generally large media companies. This was uh, actually in the financial crisis or coming out of it. And is there, in retrospect, it was, a, it was an immensely lucky place to be at this that moment in time, um, although it didn't feel that way uh, at the time. Because if you remember back then, if you were operating back then, you're a media company, you're getting immense competition from these digital businesses and your print business is in freefall. I mean, it's still uh, a declining part of the business and there was no capital available to bridge them. And so it was a case where they, their back was truly up against the wall and they had to find a solution to compete with these digital companies. And they were willing to hire 20 somethings <laughs> like, who, who are these people? The parachute in and teach them uh, how to build great digital products. That was our job. And so we would come in there and you know, they'd have very large organizations and thousands of servers and all this IT hand-implemented DevOps, DevOpsy hosting stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it didn't work. Like they you know, they were struggling to iterate their products, build a competitive digital experience for their customers. And, you know, what, what we helped them with. It wasn't our idea. It was just the obvious for to us the obvious idea, but at the time, and it was a revolutionary approach of uh, DevOps. And it looked very different than hosting, right? It was how do I get a team of designers and developers and publishers and marketers, all of that whole team across my business to iterate together and to work together to build a great digital product? because as you as you know, and I think a lot of the industry has figured out by now, you can't build a great digital product through one big bang launch, like mm-hmm. a website relaunch. Yeah. Like, this is not how it's done.
0: <laughs> the days of the um, past.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a recipe. If you think about like, what goes into a website relaunch, it's just like, and now it's like, oh my God, we still do this. Like, you know, okay, so who cares about a website relaunch? Every, like literally the CEO down to the intern who sends it to their aunt, like mm-hmm. work at this company. Everyone cares about your website. Everyone has a long list of requirements for this thing. There's all this angst because of all the problems the product has that's been collected over the, the quarters. It's such a, a a loaded project that people, because there's so much angst around it, people will not want to actually touch it because it feels like, oh, like there lies dragons. Um, and so those things like collect. And then someone says, "Oh, I will relaunch the website. And then guess what happens? All that stuff comes out of the woodwork. And then you're said, you know most teams are set up for failure. I mean, mm-hmm. It's a recipe for failure because, it's like, okay, lock yourself up in a room and solve all of our brand, all of our content, all of our technology and platform uh, challenges we've collected over the last X number of years in 12 months with this budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> impossible.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And-,
1: uh, and, you know, these teams were realizing that model just, it just wasn't working. Like it just could not get them to where they needed to go. And they didn't have all day long, like they, they had to figure this out or their business was toast. And so we, we were, you know, what we taught them was, was the modern approach to building great digital products, which is the very DevOpsy, right? It's, it's get together, get a workflow, work together every single day, improving your digital experience, understanding where people are, you're losing them in the customer journey and not waiting on it. Like, no, get, get your squad, get in the backlog and fix it. And so we, we specialized in the technology backbone as consultants to solve that, which they could not do on their own. And so literally after like the 10th time of doing this, they're like, oh my God, I'm so bored. And, and then the light bulb was, oh my God, every like media has this problem now, but every digital team in the entire world is gonna realize they have this problem too. And there's no way we can solve this through DIY. There's no open source yeah. recipe or consulting approach the only answer is software as a service Like, is the only way to solve this problem at scale is to build really good compelling software as a service products and platforms that that actually solve it fundamentally for the industry and so once we were like oh my god then then we were you know obsessed and and have been you know down that path ever since
0: that's awesome and so there's a couple aspects there right is uh I reflect further back than just this past year, but you said the word uh, in in our when we were talking before we started recording the show too, and, and and you said it twice there, so it just stuck in my head now. Hosting, right? I I grew up in the age of launching a website and and setting up your hosting needs and all of that, and you told me, well, hosting's a dirty word. Talk to me a little bit more about that and and, and what that means to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So my I think my first blog post I ever wrote when we like launched Pantheon, launched our own website. One of the first blog posts I was like, it's like. Pantheon is not a hosting service. <laughs> uh, it's like 2012 or something. I don't know. And what I meant by that back then, I think we didn't have the words back then, but now, now we're a lot has happened um, since we, we built the product. And the way people think about um, this industry is, is, is really changing. What I mean by that is like, I mean, literally like who cares about hosting? Mm-hmm. Like what marketer gets up in the, and goes to bed at night and gets in the morning, he's like, oh, content management and hosting. Mm-hmm. Like that is, that's, that's my problem. I'm sure there are some, but like, no, that's not what marketers get up in the morning. Like, what do they think about? They think about like, how can I increase my engagement, my time mm-hmm. on site, my conversion rates, like understand my user, get them a better experience. That's what they care about. Hosting kind of, hosting is a solved problem for 20 years ago. Content management basically has been solved for a decade. Mm-hmm. We're, we're somehow making it more complicated, but that's a, that's a solid, yeah Oh, oh uh, yeah, don't
2: get me started but, on that path. Yeah, we'll, 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 get, we'll get to that.
1: But um, I mean, hosting is for websites. That do not change, Mm -hmm. right? It's like literally a technology from, like this. Sorry, I'm sounding an old man now. I'm middle aged. I've two kids, and I'm not old guy. But (laughs) like hosting is from the era of I have a server, Mm -hmm. like build me the application, burn it into a CD-ROM, put it in the mail. I will install (laughs) it on your hosting.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: That's what it is. Um, Websites change; they have to. If your website isn't changing all the time, you're you're Done, yeah, right. And hosting doesn't solve that,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? You you need a whole collection of things to actually get a workflow that allows digital teams to collaborate, iterate, drive results.
0: Absolutely, and I think kind of going along with that, and you mentioned it as well. But how much the industry has continued to change, even since you started Pantheon and kind of where you have grown into. Um, so as we kind of look back on just kind of this past year, and I'd even say a couple of years now, right? We have seen that shift to age myself to right? When I was setting up hosting back in the day, right? Spinning up a server and saying, here's your SFTP and you can go drop your files there and boom, you've got a website to now where we have even seen to your point, content management is also going away in a sense of the traditional way that it was a, a platform that you would use and, and, and publish through to now composable and headless and digital experience platforms dxps and and all the the SaaS models that are out there now for different needs and to your point a marketer doesn't get up in the middle of the night or go to bed worrying about hosting it's more about all right well here's the next latest greatest technology that lets me deliver an experience that hopefully converts my users or my you know existing customers and keep them loyal that's what they need to be able to work within. So kind of with this change in the industry, and as we look at all this aspect of, especially composable, I would say, is kind of the buzzword of 2022 for the majority of what I would say as buzzwords change and push forward, right? Being an industry, we both know how fast those can come and go. Uh, but that is one that I think comes back to me when I was building my own computers, right? Of the plug and play concept of a PCI card and, you know, graphics card. Oh, you just plug it and play. And here's your modem. You can plug and play and your network card. But in the sense of the digital marketing tools or the different frameworks that are available now, this composable aspect of we no longer have one entire system that has to change, but we have many different systems that you can find the right fit for your business. And, it's composable where I can build that into the ecosystem that I have. How's all this translate into what Pantheon's providing, what you see in the industry as you kind of look backwards this year too, of just some of the direction that it's shifted.
1: You know, I'm oftentimes accused of being a little skeptical or cynical, maybe even cynical over kind of the analyst gobbledygook that we get in our, in our industry. I know it's all industries get analyst gobbledygook, but we we get our fair share. Actually composable is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a believer. And what it speaks to, and there's a lot of things kind of built into that framing. This is feeding between the tea leaves a mm-hmm. little bit, but my view is what the industry's admitting is hey, that, that whole thing we've been selling for 10 years, like one suite for all your marketing stuff, doesn't work. Yep. Doesn't. And all these customers who are there trying to, I mean, we talked we talk about this originally, like, here's how I think about it. Okay, you're a marketer. And you need to drive revenue with your website. You need to hit your growth goals. Let's sit down with a piece of paper and literally write out every single product you have to buy, build, and integrate to drive revenue with your website. Mm-hmm. It's a list of 30 things: yeah, hosting, CDN, you know, uh, New Relic, like uh, performance, application monitoring, security products. Then, and you're in the version control and dev environments mm-hmm. and deployment systems and caching and search indexes and Marketers want to pretend that stuff doesn't exist. They don't care, mm-hmm. but you need them. And then like once you do all that stuff, which is 20 tools, now you're finally into the world where marketers actually do care. Your CDP, mm-hmm. your personalization uh, routing system, your you know, marketing automation, mm-hmm. the, you know, the MarTech, yeah. right? right? Right message, right person, right time. Mm-hmm. It's 30 products. Yeah. So what teams buy, build, and integrate Thirty products to drive revenue with their website, mm-hmm. almost zero. Yeah, it, it's impossible. And what the industry, my industry, I mean, kind of the you know the Gartner,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Adobe, Sitecore world has been selling, um, and and I understand why there's demand for it, a lot of demand for it. Um, the only problem is, it doesn't really work. Is just buy our suite. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Fine, takes years to implement. Ouch. But but it'll work. The challenge is it's really expensive. That's true. It takes years to implement. That's also true. It actually doesn't really work. Some of the things work, but do they really work the way you need them to? No. Like what percentage of websites are truly personalized?
0: <laughs> A very like, low percent. You, you know?
1: It, yeah. Like, and this is the thing, actually our, our CFO, Mark, made this point to me like, oh my God, you're so right. Like in advertising demand gen world, it's spooky what you can do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll say this. It's like, it is spooky. Oh, like yeah. you can you know exactly who people are, you know what they're thinking, what they're buying, Mm -hmm. who they are, where they live, kids, no kids, golf, you know, hobbies, TV channels. I mean, you can get all that data and you can get intense signals and all this AI modeling, it's spooky, right? You know everything about you, probably more than you know about yourself, (laughs) (laughs) right? And then you walk into our store virtually, which is the website. Hello, I'm here to buy something. Why are you on my website? You're here for a reason. You're either a customer or you're, you, you're interested in becoming a customer. That's why you're on my website, cool. Yeah. And w- I say two things to you, <laughs> like who are you and will you accept my cookies? <laughs> I have no idea who you are. And I and, and make you you know, manage your own customer journey. Go find in my nav where you wanna go. Whether you're a customer or a prospect, whether you're like this close to buying, I have no idea. -hmm. You know, go navigate. Good luck. That's so broken. And you know, the, the reason it's it's so broken, it's it's not because marketers are don't get it. It's that it's impossible. Like it's impossibly complex. Yeah. And I think what composable is saying is to our industry is like, come on. Like, of course, this is how it's supposed to work. Go look at any other like evolved software industry today, whether that's sales software or marketing animation software or customer success software. And there's a pattern to actually make this stuff work. It's not easy, but there's a pattern, which is, you know, you you need to have an orchestration a spine that orchestrates all of these things, probably does replace a number of them. You know, I, our view is like all that running your website stuff, the hosting and infrastructure and CDN performance, security, compliance, all that stuff, just that has to go away. Mm-hmm. It just to be solved. And then we think you need a spine like for the workflow. And by workflow, I mean like literally, what, what are all the things you need to get a designer, a developer, an agency, a head of IT, marketing, everyone involved around the website, at the same table, working on the same work product, the visibility, and you're literally like, okay, here's the new landing page. Does it look right? Is it compliant? Is it fast, is it accessible? Okay, we pushed it out. The conversion rates go up, but you need that workflow to actually literally work together as a team. And then once you have a you know a SaaS way of running websites that you don't have to think about in Carry a Page Report, and you have a defined workflow for how these teams collaborate and work together, then you can actually solve these marketing challenges, which is around right message, right person, right time, making sure the right customer in the journey gets put in the right part of that journey, and we can accelerate their their, their purchase or the renewal or whatever we're trying to do with them, and. You know, the what was embedded in composable are the values of SAS. Right? Composable means like literally I can compose it, mm-hmm. which assumes it's SAS, right? Composing yeah. does not mean like read my docs and install mm-hmm. my software yeah. and configure that no. Composable means like poop, oh, it works.
0: Yep. Config a few things and, and then, it's up. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. And and that there's an API. Right. So again, mm-hmm. you're not like reading docs and hiring engineers to try to glue the thing into the thing. But no, boop, they fit together. Like that's the vision, I think, embedded in that. And in um, my I don't mean like all the web, like no development happens. We development on websites, mm-hmm. I'm, but I'm talking about all of the tools and platforms you need to do the work to create websites.
2: Yeah,
0: absolutely. And with that, I love that you talk about how it's the things that you don't need to focus on anymore. Right and they're composable exactly to its name. You're composing what's needed. And what I like most about this approach is that you can grow in your maturity as an organization in your digital journey with the right tools at the right time because of composable and, and with the way that systems have worked in the past, where you have more of that all in one suite, the maturity of the different tools in the suite is what typically would start to limit the opportunities for organizations, right? The marketing team would be more advanced than what that tool had inside their suite. And so you ended up not using that feature, even though you're paying for it and going with another third party that you then had to implement and integrate on top of it, which wasn't an easy feat, but now with composable in the way that a lot of the API driven elements are, especially with both SaaS And even if you're developing with other aspects, you get and I'll use the word loosely, but a freedom of choice to an extent of which systems you can now choose from. And to me, that's huge because now we can work with clients on our end, right? Of what's the right maturity level of a tool for you because they may never need to go to that full end Cadillac model when all they really need is that simple Chevy Malibu and it at least gets them there. But if they ever grew outside of that, they have the opportunity to bring in something else and they're not stuck with an entire rebuild and a whole relaunch of everything. Like we talked about a little earlier. And so composable to me has brought this freedom of you're not locked into one path and you're not locked into one element of the, you, you max out the maturity of that model, and then you have to completely replace it. And that's a multi-year project. It's, by the time you actually build it, the original goals of what you were trying to accomplish have changed within your business most likely. And the way that people engage with you has changed because of how fast that experience is now driven by all the other players in the digital world and the expectations that consumers have, whether you're B2C or B2B. And so Composable to me is just a great way that we're going to grow forward. And at the same time, needing to have solutions that kind of take care of things behind the scenes so that you can focus on to your point, what should a marketer focus on? What should a developer focus on? Right? So I don't want to leave that group out. And they get the benefit of having tools in these solutions that let them go and just build what is needed.
1: I think that's I think exactly right. And I think what's what's changed since we started Pantheon is SaaS is working,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? You you people have experiences now, not universally, but you know there might be parts of the technology you're managing that still doesn't work. But you've had probably some experience where you I don't know what you know if you're in sales and marketing you. You got Salesforce, you got Marketo or Pardot, you got, like you have like these pillars of your stack that work, Mm -hmm. that actually do deliver the value that people can collaborate. They can work across functional teams. There's no pager. It literally just, and there's APIs, you know, and it could be better, right? The Salesforce interface, everyone complained about, but fundamentally it works Yeah, Uh, and it delivers the value to the organization that, that, that is promised. And I think what's happening now is what's, you know, the, the, what you're seeing via SaaS through all these other parts of your business, that's actually getting better and better and better over time. And what our industry has delivered through this broken model, I mean, honestly, it's like we're selling, this is like this old Siebel model of selling software from 20 years ago, where it's like, you're going to need the late digital, not the picking and delete, did a great work, but you're going to need this giant integrator firm for mm-hmm. three years to replatform your blah, 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 or you blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you're going to, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And then like four years later, two times over budget, all the people left, <laughs> except for the partner at the agency. <laughs> it's like, come on, what are we doing? Yeah. Like, we know this doesn't work. Yeah. Right. We stopped doing this for almost all other software, but yet we're still doing this for our most important digital asset. Why is that? Right. That, that's, so what's happening is SaaS is getting better and better and that gap is getting more and more and more noticeable Mm -hmm. to the point where analysts are saying, this is busted. Like we, there has to be a better way of doing this. And, And I think that exactly to your point, you know, there are a lot of, I'm sure people listening to this podcast, like, you know, teams are figuring out, like people have to do their jobs and they're, you know, they'll slog through a lot of broken software and broken approaches to just get it done. And those, you know, teams are seeing like hints of the future Parts of the, the web app stack or the martech stack that are actually starting to plug together. They're saying like, that's it. We need that, but for all of web.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you had uh, in one of our other conversations had a great comment about how both people marketing and technical are making nonsensical trade offs. And in, in the past, right, is it the marketing or the technical team that's going to win the conversation and now they both can win, which is great. And, you know, to me, that's just a, a peace of mind that everyone should have on marketing or technical side because you both can do your jobs. As you mentioned earlier, you can come in and do your job and and find the tools that you need to do it and they flow together now versus a lot of times, I remember lots of conversations in the past where I'd come into a, a, a client engagement for a project and it was IT versus marketing. Who's gonna win? I'm, I'm referring to a children's book now as I read one to my six-year-old last night for, uh, you know, just the reptile ultimate battle. Uh, but anyways, I digress as we look at just the aspect of the different mindsets that are out there, right. And, customers, you kind of talked about this already, but there's the, I'm going to have a good customer experience. I'm going to have, have to make a good technology choice. What you're advocating and, and talking through is that you can now have both. And through that it's really delivering on that customer experience because we have these tools and i want you to kind of unpack this a bit more that pantheon is providing and and, and taking the complexity out of the complex if that makes sense
1: it, it, totally i mean and we, we should talk about this i i um i'm a biker so this is a, a, forgive me for this analogy but you're on a road right and for me i'm biking on the road and there's someone coming driving their car and i hit a pothole and i go over and over heels and then I hit the car and I'm not hurt, but mm-hmm. like, not, not good. Right. So I'm upset <laughs> that I get hit by a car. The car's upset that someone swerved in the lane and like hit their car. And we're going to, you know, we have a conversation about it. And what often happens is as those, me and this driver are now mm-hmm. not friendly. Very not ha- mm-hmm. Maybe it's a great outcome, but like, there's an easy case where we're blaming each other. Yeah. Well, actually no one's at fault. It was a pothole. Mm-hmm and i I think it's so easy to lose track of like because it's kind of boring. It's like, no, it's actually the infrastructure. And i what I see is a kind of built up over many years standoff happening oftentimes in organizations that look just like that, where marketing is saying, I have to move fast. I have to hit my number. I have to iterate. I need to work with this this team I found. I like that's my job. I have to do this. and i and i t very rightly is saying, we cannot get hacked. The website cannot go mm-hmm. down. <laughs> this cannot break because my team carries the pager <laughs> yep. and we're at war and then things do break. Right. So what happens when, when you, you know, you have a security vulnerability or the website does go down or marketing does break things like then that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really, to me, like I actually am, it's troubling to me. Like that's, that's a, that's a rampant thing in our industry that, that, And and I get a little like personally sad about, like very deeply sad about because these are people's jobs. Like we spend a lot of time at work. These are people's colleagues. These are relationships. And and we're having these kind of standoffs and sometimes like internal conflict over something that's totally solvable, Mm -hmm. but becomes a personal conflict and shouldn't be. And the answer is you need to have both.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: the website can't go down and can't get hacked and marketing needs to iterate. Both of those things have, to, be, and you can't compromise one or the other. You can't be like, like if someone wins the org, guess who loses the organization, Yeah, right? That's just the reality. And so what we find ourselves doing all the time, because we we're, we're in the middle of this as, as a vendor mm-hmm. and, but we actually love it. It's kind of therapy. <laughs> it's like, we walk in and we say, yes, absolutely. And then we walk to the other room, tie tea, oftentimes we're on the same room. And we go say, of course. <laughs> and then we like literally get everyone in the same room. We're like, yep. guess what? <laughs> like, here's the path. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, wait, really? And we're like, yeah. Uh, and th- that's kind of the essence of a lot of our sales is, is like, look, with technology and good software and a good approach and alignment, you don't have to make those trade-offs. You just don't. You You know, you do have to, build a plan and build a roadmap and get the right infrastructure in place. Like that stuff doesn't just happen. It's always people process teams,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: any dysfunction, any missing capability organization, people process and teams and the platform that they're running on, right? That. Mm-hmm. That's it. And if you have one of those things and you're missing the other, you don't get the result. If yeah. you have the right platform, uh, the right technology, but you don't have the right team in place, or you have a team in place, the right product, we don't know the process, the workflow, you're not going to get there. You know, we think it's our, oftentimes our responsibility increasingly is, is like, we don't think of ourselves as a, I mean, we build a lot of software, we build a platform, but if if our goal is to get the, the customer to the endpoint, which is the change of the organization's ability to iterate and drive growth, then um, we're, you know, we're, we're their partners to make sure that they have the right agency or they have the right. They know the right path and the right process to follow. And, you know, good software makes that seamless and easy.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I love that you brought it back to the people. The people are so important and in, in that therapy session. just I, I've been there and understand that, too, because once you do get them talking together, it's incredible what the projects actually succeed and how how much happier those teams are at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the project. and. So to me, the, the critical thing there that you talked about also was the roadmap because they need to have that plan of how to get there when they're not there yet. And there's still a lot of organizations that aren't there. They ha- have not started it or are just beginning this process. And so uh, there's light at the end of the tunnel, I like to tell people and, and, and know that even though it might be that you've got to replace a lot of older, outdated systems and processes even, there is a solution here and what's provided and and you definitely need to check out more, uh, with both Pantheon and, and just what's available to you today. It's amazing. The, the, the industries that we work with are all across the board. And for me, having seen the pattern, especially in the past, uh, two years, uh, just with the, how, how fast the world was forced to change into a digital economy and, uh, just experience becoming that much more important acceleration that especially b2b organizations were driven to and how both a short-term band-aid solution was able to be applied for a lot of them but now the long-term planning kind of also got accelerated which to me is exciting because it's bringing so much more opportunity to them through that as we kind of think about just you know what are the trends and moving ahead and and kind of looking to, to to wrap up our our session today zach what what do you see as, you know, the upcoming trends, what have we learned and, and, and what's coming in, in you know, 2023 and beyond in your mind?
1: Yeah, I was just talking about this with a, a friend who runs a company, not, not in website tech, but, you know, sells a lot to software and marketers. And I, and I another friend who runs a very large web team and, and digital team for a brand name company. And, and the conversation was like, basically, we all said, this is the same trend. We're just seeing it different words, different parts of the industry, which is... Essentially, the buyers of digital, you know, people building digital experiences, and I mean that broadly, like, you know, demand, advertising, website owned, whatever, email market, people who own digital experiences, there's two types of buying happening. There is the traditional buying, which is optimizing for the technology, but technology, mostly your own. And, and that's like, I got a set of requirements, and there are a bunch of vendors, and I got you know, I'm gonna stack rank and price, and I have these like levers. I'm gonna optimize, and boom, I'm gonna make the right decision. And this, like, I'm not knocking that. Like that, like you need to have that mindset. It's important. But there's a different kind of buying that's taking over, and and it's it's a trend, and it's this, it's a empowered leader who has budget, where the overriding thing is actually the customer experience. Like they they actually have authority, and they have a mindset of my job is to improve the growth of our service or product. And the way I'm gonna do that is I'm gonna deliver a superior customer experience, whatever that takes. And I'm gonna buy technology smartly. Like it's like, I'm not gonna buy everything because I you know fix mm-hmm. resources and you optimize. And so I, I have an approach to buying technology, but it's in service to the customer experience. And what's happening is that's a reordering of kind of, it's a subtle but important thing that's reordering everything there are tons of downstream implications of that. That dictates which agency gets hired. You know, that that determines what products get purchased. That determines who gets promoted, um, who gets budget, where, you know, who gets control over the team and the resources. And, you know, it's kind of getting into career advice, but that's a clear trend where we're like, it's a pendulum. It's gonna like, you know, it's here, but you have to look ahead. Like if you're planning your agency over the next two or three years, you don't want to be on the wrong side of this, you want to be on the right side of that. Mm-hmm. If you know, if you're planning your career over the next two or three years, you want to be on the team that's their budget's growing, not mm-hmm. the team that's being cost optimized. Yeah. Um, if you're a vendor, like you you care a lot about that trend.
0: Absolutely. And and the customer experience is so true of the impact that it has now because of just where we saw a lot of brands lose loyal purchasers in the past, just from availability, messaging, just the, the customer experience was broken with uh, just some of the logistics and supply chain issues that happened over the past couple of years. And people went to just start finding it wherever they could. And it, it's tough for the businesses, right? And looking at just how I've talked about in the past, supporting some of the small businesses in, in my town during that time, it also is frustrating when you don't get messaging as a consumer. Until later. Uh, There's a lot of episodes I talked about a sofa purchase and waiting and messaging and kept delaying delaying and delaying and delaying and ended up with the same company, but going to their outlet store and finding almost the exact same thing that we wanted, slightly different, but we were willing to get it immediately because we had waited seven months already. And customer service messaging just wasn't up to par with what I would have expected for a consumer with such a big purchase. It's across the board though, because any consumer now, whether you're a B2B consumer in the business space, buying services to your point, or if you're buying goods uh, as a B2C consumer, you have experiences that are set for you by so many different brands and digital uh, websites or apps or whatever it may be that if you aren't focusing on that as an organization, to your point, you are going to lose those consumers. You are going to lose those transactions and and you want to be part of that winning team. And the best way to do that is to be able to be flexible and to be able to come in and and be able to have the right technology and and tools to look to accomplish that and iterate on an ongoing basis. So I know I kind of, I've reserved a little bit. We talked a little bit about it here, but if you had to predict in the next three to five years, kind of, you know, you talked a little bit about how Pantheon started as you were kind of doing these one-offs and solving this for organizations and you kind of got to the point where you're like, ah, oh, man, this is the same thing. And what do we do to really that light bulb moment? What do you think might be a future light bulb moment in the space as you guys look to just continue growing? And then also just where you see the industry going?
1: Honestly, and this might not be a satisfactory answer. I think the, the things that change and get unlocked in like the light bulb moments, they don't happen all at once. You, you find an unlock. And it kind of is subtle, like a team in the organization or a project that you're working on or one part of the digital experience that you're like, that's the future, right? It just feels like mm-hmm. the future. It feels easy. It feels like it's supposed to. And then what happens is, oh, wow, that, that's it. So well, more of that, please. Mm-hmm. And those things get invested in. And that's the first turn of the crank. And then what happens? It's even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I want even more of that. And then what, so that becomes a flywheel. Yeah. And so that's not a one thing. That's a, that's a like generative thing. And what's happening is we have a lot of these seeds planted in organizations that are these mini little flywheels that feel a little bit like you're like, that's the little pockets of the future dispersed in the organization. And the mistake people make is it's this classic, like brains can't understand compounding. We just don't think the brains just don't think that. And so those things get really sneaky because they feel very small and subtle today. And you're like, well, that's, you know, yes, but I got this big thing or budget or project or plan. So, but like pretty soon those things end up being transformative and you know, there's, and there's, I'm talking in the abstract, but like to, you know, bring it down to size a little bit, this is, you know, this played out in demand gen, like demand gen works. Yeah. It's not perfect, but like those teams work really well like the people buying ads and posting in social media
2: and
1: running email campaigns, like they really, that actually its not perfect, but it actually mm-hmm. really does work. You can map your customer journey. You can know where people are in the cycle. You can move people through the funnel. You can understand the conversion rate. It's all very agile and you get cross-functional teams like, holy crap, that is the future. It's just not evenly distributed. And the way this is gonna play out, I think in web and in our industry is it's gonna feel like a toy. It's going to feel like this little part that's like, it's working, which is great. And I'm very hopeful, but like, it's not it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it happens elsewhere. And then that thing is just going to be super sneaky. It's just going to start exploding inside these organizations. And 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 this is where I, come, I get down to advice. You want to be on those things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You want to champion them in organizations. You want to bring them into teams. You want to sell them if you're an agency into customers. You, if you're a leader in an organization, you want to nurture those things and care and feed them and make, give them space and oxygen, um, and then you just have to be a little patient because it's not it's not like a silver bullet. It takes time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I love it, and even just the way you just explained it, right? The you're you're planting the seed. You want to get these little mini flywheels. You don't need to have this big huge aha moment. It's the lots of little moments that will lead you to that really being combined of all those little ones for the big and it's it's a great way to to wrap up the show today zach i can't thank you enough for being on with us talking through uh these trends and everything for those of you listening uh definitely please check out uh pantheon uh and their sas platform which really aids you in designing innovating and deploying websites and digital experiences fast uh, i can't stress that word enough and, uh, it is the most reliable web ops platform with enterprise grade security and customer support. So, uh, we'll put some links in the show notes and description so that you can go and check them out further. Zach, again, thank you for the time today to talk with us and look forward to, uh, future conversations, maybe with some of the other Pantheon team members, uh, you guys are, are, uh, uh two now in the show and, uh, looking forward to future conversations as well. For those listening, thank you for tuning into the future by listening to this podcast of Lessons for Tomorrow. For more information about the topics discussed today, please check out the description of this episode. If you want us to cover a topic or submit feedback, email us at lessons for tomorrow at AmericanEagle.com and let us know. Also be sure to follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and sharing this podcast with others to prepare them for the future and also where you sometimes find me, but seldomly not. Don't forget to follow us on social media. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com studios. I'm your host, Tim Alenius, and I'll catch you in the next lesson.